you know, I think it, it has to do with my understanding of church. And I think everyone in the congregation, in the church, are responsible to grow the church. Mm. And I always had this understanding that it's not just me or the few people who are, the, are most involved in the team or key volunteers, but it's everyone. Mm. And church doesn't work if someone just wants to fulfill their own dreams. It's all about serving the community. Welcome back to the Leaders with Babies podcast. As you know, I'm Ferina Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus, and I'm the mother of three, including a, at the moment, very young baby. I have set this podcast up because I really think we must do more in order to make sure that everyone can have a senior career and have children at the same time. We shouldn't have to choose between those. And actually, it is essential that young mothers like me and probably like you listening and young dads are continuing to progress on that career pipeline otherwise we're never going to get to that equal representation in the very top senior leadership levels and that is also why I've set up the Leaders Plus Fellowship for people like you I guess and me (laughs) so if you are listening to this you might also be interested in the fellowship program which just for your information is closing on the 11th of October If you are selected as a fellow, you will join a nine-month program together with a really supportive group of parents from all sectors, but who have it in common that they are super passionate about developing their careers and they're also really, really caring with their children. They don't want to make a choice either way and think they shouldn't have to either. You will get a senior leader mentor who has experience of doing it themselves, being in a high-powered career and having a child. You have structured sessions with world-class expert facilitators to help you figure out how you want to progress your career. In fact, what progressing your career looks like for you. And you get some new ideas and most importantly, time to think about what you want, which I think is so powerful. So, yeah, take a look on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship if that is of interest. Now, today I have the honour of talking to my church minister, Carla Maurer. I was actually thinking of asking her to be on this podcast, I'm sure, actually since I started, and I have never asked her because, yeah, I was just a little bit, you know, apprehensive about asking your minister. But I did, anyways. uh, I think being on maternity leave just has given me a certain of, certain, I'll do it anyway, approach. And it was a really, really thought-provoking conversation for me personally. So I think you will enjoy too. It's all about setting boundaries, which personally for me is so relevant, coming back from maternity leave and also having two older children on top of the baby. And then just about how to find purpose. I think in the pandemic, we've all, or many of us at least, have really come back to what, what is it that matters to me and what is worth putting my all into it and that the question of purpose comes back a lot and so that's why I wanted to ask Carla about her journey of finding her purpose and she's also very good at talking honestly about how she's managing her energy after more than 18 months in a pandemic where she's trying to keep her church charity afloat and at the same time obviously be a mother to her family uh, to to her son and a good partner as well which is so important so definitely do take a listen and enjoy the conversation. 
very warm welcome to the podcast, Carla Maurer. I am delighted to have the chance to chat to you in this format after you've baptized both of my oldest children. And you've been, I guess, part of my life in some shape for a few years since I've had children as the pastor in the Swiss church in London. Why don't we start with you saying hello, introducing yourself and who's in your family? Yeah, hi. Um, hi, Varen, and thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I listen to your podcast and I feel really encouraged by it. So, you know, I feel honoured to be one of your guests. Yeah, so I'm the minister or pastor. There are different uh, words for that position of the Swiss Church in London, which is an institution that has been founded over 50 years ago. So it's kind of an, an old institution of Swiss immigrants in London and in the whole of UK. And nowadays we do various different things. And I've been in that position since 2013. So yeah, just over eight years now. And I'm from Switzerland as well. <laughs> and I live with my husband and with my little son, who is three years old in, yeah, in Crouch End in North London. Mm-hmm. Lovely. And... Most of us don't really know what a church minister does. Can you just talk us through what's on your plate this week? Yeah, so I think it's like it really depends on the church. Every church is different and ideally a church would respond to the local context or the congregation so it can really change. And it's quite different in a sense because we don't have a local congregation. Everyone is kind of spread out. So the ministry is a bit different from your usual local church. This week, that's a good question, you know, I'm a bit like on a low burner at the moment, so I don't have that much to show, but I'm just generally quite involved with fundraising. Yeah, I'm kind of the main fundraiser at the church. I'm also the team manager, and we were able to grow the team during the pandemic, which is very unusual for a small charity. And that was actually a wonderful thing to do. So that also means we're integrating more team members, so the team needs more kind of attention and how we we spread the task and just how we look after ourselves in general after this whole madness of the last year. We are also starting to reopen our outreach work. That's the local community, mainly homeless people, and we had to close it down due to the pandemic. So we're slowly starting to get things back into place. And we also had two artists moving in. We have an artist scheme at the church and we do residencies So for the next three months, we have two artists sharing the church with us as their art studio. That's what's currently going on. And other than that, I think I'm currently kind of just recovering from the past few years. That's what I'm doing a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Wonderful. So we just had a brief break and I... Six-month-old son has joined me for breastfeeding. So if you hear some background noises, then that will be him burping rather than me or Carla burping. (laughs) But I'm sure with Spirit of the Podcast, I guess that's a challenge that we all have with combining really demanding roles with with young children along the way. So we were talking about your day-to-day and you mentioned it was pretty intensive. So you're the spiritual leader of lots of people who do rely on that connection to Switzerland. I always see also young people, families, but also people who've moved to the UK decades ago, but who are still connected through the Swiss church to their Swiss community. It seems to play a really important role with that, but also you are the CEO, the fundraiser, everything stops with you by the sound of it. So it's very intensive. So how have you managed to 
survive, what kept you going through those last few years? On top of that, with the pandemic, also having the child, what made you keep going? How did you manage your energy? You know, it's an interesting question because I feel that like there were really times, especially at the beginning of my ministry, when things were very, very challenging. And there was always like an aspect of of maybe the setup at the church because it's a small charity that kind of maybe lacks resources. So sometimes like, you know, you have the team, you have the trustees, the board of trustees, our activities, the congregation, they all have their needs. Sometimes you have like a lot of resources in place in one area and it's more or less self-sufficient and needs little support. And then there can be times when people leave or there is some crisis somewhere. And when there is like something to troubleshoot, it usually ends up on my desk. Mm. And in an ideal world, one thing at a time is all right. In a not so ideal world, it's several things at the same time or without a break in between. And then it becomes very difficult. And I think, you know, if I look back on these eight years and also with motherhood, with pandemic, I think what probably makes it possible for me to do all that is that I'm, I think I'm quite good at, say, like just knowing my boundaries and allowing myself to just let certain things slip or to do certain things just good enough or to say, I don't do this anymore, I can't do this, like to certain areas or projects. So just focus on the thing that needs most urgent attention. And if I feel exhausted, I'm quite good at allowing myself to just take time off. Mm. I don't feel guilty about it. I think that helps. Mm. And do you have an example of a thing recently that you said no to that was tough to say no to? I think in, that was more at the beginning of my ministry. We had this concert program with a monthly concert where Swiss artists would come to London and the Swiss church would organize this concert every month. I think two years into the minute, my ministry or so, I realized it's just not enough people to thrive it. And I just said, I'm under my leadership. I can't do this. And I know that it upsets some people, but I just said, we can't do a concert program. So that is one example. And can I just and, dig into a bit deeper? So I think that's really interesting because you have done what all of us have been told we should be doing to say no. And you've upset people in the process. Why? Are you able to do that? That's a very good question. Maybe it has to do with how, for me, church is all about, I should say, you know, I think it, it has to do with my understanding of church. And I think everyone in the congregation, in the church, are responsible to grow the church. Mm. And I always had this understanding that it's not just me or the few people who are most involved in the team or key volunteers, but it's everyone. Mm. And church doesn't work if someone just wants to fulfill their own dreams. It's all about serving the community. Mm -hmm. And I support what serves the community, but it also means that people have to find their own resources. I can't resource people's dreams or program. I can help them to grow it. I can help them to recruit people. I can mm. encourage them, but I can't do it for them. And also, I think I just really think that's what church is. And I think I just always had that understanding of it. And, and maybe me personally, I I don't feel responsible for if people are like 
frustrated or feel let down because they don't get that or like because people don't share their vision or feed their vision necessarily I don't feel responsible for other people's feelings but I also don't expect others to be responsible for mine I don't know if that makes any sense that makes so much sense that really does so basically what you're saying is you had a vision for what you wanted church to be what you wanted your business to be in a sense and you then quite ruthlessly decided that the things that weren't serving that purpose weren't a good use of time unless people would find their own resources and it would be part of a yeah yeah interesting and maybe I to say it's the other way around as well. For instance, I always anticipate because a lot of the key workers are volunteers, but then of course we have the team members, they come from all over the world, they live in London, they might move on. I always anticipate that people will move on and that they will step down from their position. I anticipate that they might have a family, you know, depending on the age or their relationship status. I anticipate that they have a career besides their job. And I, I kind of, I'm just aware of that. So when people come and say, I'm really sorry, I have to step down from my position or I can't do that at the moment. I already knew that sort of, if that makes sense. And I'm, I don't feel in any way upset about it. I'm happy for them, you know, but I, I accept, I kind of hope that it's, yeah, reciprocal mm. somehow. Mm. Interesting. That's very powerful. You strike me as someone quite purpose-driven and tell me if that's not the case but or maybe it's partly my impression of a church minister is that you are there for higher purpose <laughs> by definition <laughs> and I'm just I've been thinking about purpose a lot recently because in the pandemic I've seen a lot of people who are really in need of getting a stronger purpose who've almost lost a bit of their passion for what they're doing I don't see why they're doing and so I'm interested in your story. When did you first, well, well, is it true that you have a strong purpose or is it just my stereotype? And if yes, when did you first get that purpose? It's interesting. You asked me that question when you a few weeks ago when you asked me about being a guest here, about my purpose, and it made me think quite a bit. So I'm not sure if I came up with an answer yet, but I think it's probably fair to say that I have a strong purpose because obviously everything I do is built around faith and about sharing something with other people. It's sharing, sharing a belief. I mean, whatever that is, you know, we don't have to go too much into detail. I mean, everyone has different, but you share around something, a hope or alternatives about that there can be like a better quality of life or better quality of relationships that you can build. You can be there for each other. There is a safe space, I think for people to be and you can build that together and I would say that's very much my purpose to build safe spaces and and me personally I just feel so I didn't grow up religious and I came to theology through my studies of history and philosophy and then eventually (laughs) went into theology which I didn't even know existed and I'm still surprised that I took that path in my life I still wonder how I became a minister But what I know is that I grew into something in in that family, in that church family around that shared hope that gives me a lot back. For me, it's very important to have that. And I know that it's also important for other people 
and that's just a wonderful purpose. I think it's it's what keeps me going. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. And was there any point in your life where you worked on something that wasn't in line with your purpose or that you didn't find purposeful? And how did you deal with that? Yeah, so before I was a minister, I worked four years in France, in Strasbourg, for the Conference of European Churches. And it's kind of an organization that, you could say, lobbies or works together with the European institutions. So you try to get... in. Council of Europe, the Human Rights Court, to think about topics that are important for the churches in Europe. That sounds really exciting, but in reality, it's so hard to get anyone's attention in those institutions. So I very often felt I was organizing meetings, I was organizing events or writing something up. But, you know, who reads that? Where does this lead? And I really very often didn't see any purpose. But I think I still look back at it as a very good time because of the relationships I formed them and the people I met in that church organization. This was really very enriching for my life and still is. Mm. And also maybe even just having that experience that you can go into an office every day and you just really very often wonder, what do I do here? Who is ever going to read that? And do you see people who struggle with purpose who you I can't remember how you say it in English, sales or who who you look after spiritually? Do you, do you see people who have that issue or is it not so much of a topic? In uh, pastoral care, mm-hmm. who struggle with purpose. Yeah, I mean as as I, I see that everywhere, not just as a minister. Um, also, you know, when you queue up at nursery to pick up the kids, you hear people saying like, you know, I don't know what to do with my job, what's the purpose, or friends. Yeah, definitely. I think like everyone, yeah. Mm. And is there something in your experience that helps someone to develop a purpose? Assuming they're stuck in a job and they quite like the job, they can't quite remember why they're in that job, but they know they want to do something more purposeful? As in, obviously, I mean, changing job is uh, always not, uh, not always an option for everyone. So... You see, you mean like if someone has to kind of stay in that job and is not quite sure or tries to figure yeah, it let's, out. Let's, or maybe doesn't know what their purpose is or maybe doesn't have the option to change yeah. jobs. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about two things. I think one thing that can really kill our inspiration and our purpose might be the screen time that we have been experiencing, especially also during the pandemic. And I think being stuck behind the screen for many, many, many hours a day. I think it just kills off a lot. And maybe things we could see without that just get lost. So I'm thinking like if someone sits behind the screen for hours hours a day and doesn't feel purpose or doesn't feel inspired, I would say reduce that screen time. Is there something you can do on the walk? Think about something. Can you pick up the phone and call someone and bounce ideas for a project? Or just even just talk about it and say, you know, I have these five things to do today. What should I start with? Get someone to help you to prioritize or get someone to ask you the right question. What you feel passionate about today? Or just take a pen and paper, make a cup of tea and sit down and write the list of the things you like and you don't like. Mm. I think it's mixing up the way you work and talking to people. So I really feel that the screen does not help. I think you're you're right. And there's something about energy. I 
find that the things that are most connected to my purpose are those where I'm most excited. And those, you know, those moments where you forget that you're at work. Mm-hmm. That's where, I mean, I think back, actually, those are the, the things that I have found my purpose with most. And I'll try to remember that for my own work. So I always get hugely energized by running sessions with fellows, even though we have wonderful facilitators, but that really gets me going. And obviously I need to do lots of other things as well, like manage the finance and <laughs> such less exciting things. But that that is, you know, I mean, I think it really helps me to think back of the moments I've enjoyed and I've thrived in to think back what my purpose is. Mm-hmm. It's quite a rare opportunity to be able to interview a female minister. And I just want to understand a bit more about your experience in that field. And I was wondering, is it quite, especially your, your Protestant minister, we should say, is it quite an equal field or do you feel as you've come through the training and you started out, you've faced assumptions about female leaders similar to what other people in other industries might face? In Switzerland, it's quite equal. I think there are more female theology students now or training for ministers than men. But then when it comes to work, there are much more women than in part time and more men having to have full time ministries. But you will see it's quite balanced. I think in England this may be a bit less. And also there are more recent discussions around the whole kind of bishop thing in the Church of England and women becoming bishops and so on. So that's still very fresh in people's minds. I feel that people are a bit more surprised here to see a woman minister than maybe back in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. For me, it's been a bit of a journey because when I first started, you, you get many reactions also. So you get many reactions about being a woman in that role. And most of them are positive. They're like kind of a really positive surprise. And because you are like different from the kind of image, the patriarchal image church has, also the Protestant church, you kind of break down maybe certain preconceptions or also experiences that people might have and you can like just by being a woman I have opened for many people I have opened doors back into the church because it's kind of different and at the beginning I found that really a bit disturbing or annoying and I thought you know I don't want to be defined so much by my gender first of all I'm just who I am as a person but now I, I think completely different about it I think it's wonderful I can fully embrace it I can say mm-hmm. if the fact that I'm a woman can help people to find that safe space or find that community because it's female-led, then that's a wonderful thing. That's okay. Mm. I can embrace that now, yeah. But I, I didn't always find it easy. And then very rarely I got, like, some weird comments like, oh, are you doing surprisingly well preaching as a woman? You know, things like that. But that's very rare. Of course you get that as well. It's like, why does that surprise you? <laughs> so, interesting. So how do you react to these comments? It really depends on how I feel on the day. I do, you know, that's the thing. I, I recently read, actually, that's a really, because you sometimes mention these microaggressions as well in the notes. I read a very good book, maybe we can put it in the show notes, about microaggressions called Subtle Acts of Exclusion by Tiffany Jones. Can you say that again? Subtle Acts of Exclusion. That's her term for, or their term, that's their term for microaggressions. And it's all about that. And it's about the different roles you can have. Like you can be the initiator of 
an SAE, she calls it that election. You can be the initiator, the recipient, you can be a bystander, or you can become an ally. And I think if you're the recipient of a so-called microaggression or um, act of exclusion, it's very difficult to react by yourself because you're hurt in that moment. So it can become a quite heated situation. If you're lucky, you have a bystander who turns into an ally and maybe calls out for you. Or you can just keep your cool, think about it, and then go back to the person later and say, look, what you said the other day, that was hurtful for that and that reason, or that made me feel that way. Now, of course, in real life, <laughs> we don't always react like that. So, But I found it really helpful book, definitely something to think about and to try to deal with these situations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining, and I may be very warm, I'm imagining that these may be really friendly, elderly white males who may be wanting to make a positive comment about the sermon that you've just delivered. Do you think it is important to make it noted that that wasn't an okay comment? Or do you think it's totally fine to let it slide? I think for me, it always depends a bit on the relationship I have with the person. And also how maybe strong I feel that person is to take a reaction so I would occasionally react and say look that wasn't okay I found that why do you say that so I would reflect it back with men also women you know like a lot of since I've been a mother I've got a lot of comments around that from women as well which I found uh, asking if the dad is at home and babysitting I always say you know My husband doesn't babysit, he's the father of the child. I always say that. That's one I never let slip. Um, I couldn't agree more. If I feel like sometimes I let it slip, sometimes I feel, oh, you know what? I don't have the energy to, yeah. Mm. But I know, well, I mean, it's it's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky. Mm. You have seconds to decide what to do about it. And sometimes afterwards you think, oh, sometimes you walk away and think you're really proud of your reaction, whatever your reaction was. And think, oh, I've done well in this situation. And sometimes you walk away and it's like, oh, no, I really did not react in a good way. I'm really not happy with my reaction. And But I think that's just why you can't change that. Sometimes you're happy with yourself and sometimes you're not. And it's so important to be kind to yourself because, as you say, there is only a second to react and to decide how to react. And while it may be good to say something so that, the societal expectations change it's totally fine to give yourself a break if you have had a hard day and you just don't want to engage in an argument Um, interesting and I'm sorry this feels like a list of all the stereotypes I have about the church ministry so please tell me off if I'm doing too much of this but I'm also imagining that you have lots of people who require you I presume that people come to you for lots of pastoral conversations or because you are the face of that church, everyone wants to speak to you. And I'm just interested in how you, well, if you protect time for yourself and protect time for rest. Yeah, it could be never ending. And I could always be there for people more. And there are always people I will neglect. Sometimes people need more of my time because it's just in a very acute crisis or just, you know, just need my my friendship or my presence in the lives for maybe a longer time. And I know that I can never be a good minister for everyone. I know that. And I think you can only do that job if you're aware of that and you're forgiving with yourself. And if someone thinks you let them down, just take that on board, but also not 
not feel that you are a bad minister just because you couldn't be that for a person. And it can really be, I mean, recently, since the beginning of the year, for instance, I kind of feel, you know, do I feel guilty or not? I'm not even sure. But I I haven't really called people up, which I usually do, because I'm just exhausted. I just can't, I don't have that open ear for everyone at the moment. And I'm quite limited in how much I can give in that respect. And yeah, I think I do occasionally feel guilty about that. And I feel like I'm not really covering that enough. But then at the same time, I can only be a good minister if I look after myself. And then at least those who I am in touch with and I do support, at least those then get me in a kind of patient and in a calm shape. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's hard. You know, you want to be good for everyone and it's hard not to always be able to. Mm. But yes, you are making the very brave decision of looking after yourself. I'm sure you can still do it more, especially given you've got a three-year-old to look after but I think it's a very brave thing to say no I am actually not able to do this now and I I need to look after myself first Mm. in order to be the best that I can be in this leadership role I think that's incredibly powerful and I yeah it's something I want to cut in German I I keep wanting to talk German to you which is not (laughs) but I want to cut the slice off which is what we say in in, in German I want to do some of that as well yeah Yeah, very interesting thank you for sharing that so openly maybe just also to say it's the experience of like it's a way of because I've I know how I am as a minister when I don't look after myself and I let myself suck into too many things and then when someone comes up to me, you know, sometimes it's just out of the blue, someone comes up and tells you about their problems and I can be react when I'm stressed. I don't react in a good way. And I've experienced that myself and I really don't want to be that. So it's either that or it's not being there for mm. enough people, but then at least in the situations when it's required, at least I know then I can be a good minister in that situation so I just took that really that decision because I experienced how I am as a minister when I'm not looking after myself. And that's definitely, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that minister because it's not, yeah, it's not who I should be as a minister. Mm. I think that's a, a powerful perspective. What are the consequences of you not looking after yourself? Mm. Of which there are in any, any job. There's so much more to talk about, but I think we have come to the end of our time is there anything else that you would like to share about your experience as a leader as a minister and as a mother that you think would be really you definitely want the listeners to hear maybe just about I don't know we haven't really said about motherhood should I we haven't really said well we probably should talk about that given it's a leaders with babies podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I guess yeah so what are your reflections about would you still have a baby, I guess, now three years in. Was it the right decision to have one? That's such a difficult question. Sorry. Because, I mean, you kind of, you love your child. You could never imagine your life without that person in it, right? And at the same time, the kind of the flexibility and spontaneity is such a big change. And so much of that obviously just goes down the drain. And 
Yeah, the, I mean, there are moments, and, and then with the pandemic, when you don't have the support you don't usually have, you know, my parents would come over quite a bit and help with childcare and you get a bit of a break. And yeah, sometimes you just think, if I could just like, have a few days a week where, you know, just taking, yeah. I do find it sometimes hard to kind of relentlessness and to never, never having a break of it, I must admit, yeah. But obviously I would, always always choose that little person in my life that's absolutely no doubt yeah and it's also because I I guess I'm I didn't really know whether I wanted children at all I was 38 when I had him not because we struggled to conceive just because we really couldn't make our mind up so yeah and we, we both weren't really weren't very sure at all and yeah I mean the impact it has and how your life changes is and then at the same time, there are also things that don't change that I thought would change massively. I thought my perspective on life, you know, everyone always says, oh, you will think completely different. You will be a completely different person. I don't feel like a different person. I feel very much like myself still. I still care about a lot of things that are not motherhood. I'm still very passionate about my friendships, about my work and everything. So that hasn't changed as much as people said it would. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I think looking after the, for those who co-parent with someone, just looking after the relationship, that is definitely something I would say it's so important to, you know, have a trusted babysitter and pop out for a couple of hours, do something good. You, you really have to kind of very actively do that. It's not something that happens. You have, as a couple, you have to look after the couple. It's so important. Mm. Interesting. So, there seems to be another theme of setting boundaries almost with your child there. And it's something I've been struggling with. I, I do feel I need to be there for the children in a very strange way. I have no idea why, but I feel like I need to be present mm. all the time, which and let's not get into why that is. It's crazy. Why don't you feel that way? Why do you feel it's okay to send the kids with the babysitter for three hours on a Saturday? You know, that's so interesting because the, the boundary thing seems to be, I couldn't answer you in the first place. I don't know if I can answer you now, but I think how you react to motherhood, you, can just, you can't tell how you react. And it's embracing that. It's, it's you are who you are and you react to it the way you react. It is no, it's just, for me, that was, it just, I didn't know whether that would. I, I remember when we, I think when Yuvi was four or five months old, I only just, I, I stopped breastfeeding then, so pretty early, but we went away. My parents were here. We went to, away to a hotel for a night, just my husband and I. And then for me, it was like, it was my suggestion. It was very spontaneous. Like, oh, let's just go out. My parents can do that. And then, you know, I sometimes wonder, you know, am I a bad mother? Because I just, I was able to do that. So I have these questions the other way around. Mm. Is it like because I don't have that feeling like I have to be around and I find it quite easy to to let other people take care of my child? Does that make me a bad mother? Do I not care enough? So, you know, however we react, we ask questions about ourselves. So. Mm. I think that is so true. And if I think back over time, apparently nowadays women spend more time with their children than they used to in the 1970s. And I think we just need to give ourselves permission to do what is what is right. And even my mother, definitely, she's, she, when she sees me, she always says, oh, Verena, you're spending so much more time with your children. You're playing with them. Why do you play with them? You all turned out very well without me playing with them. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is so true. But we're also 
rightly or wrongly, a little bit indoctrinated by all the health services about, you know, having to sing to your child, talk to your child and so on, which I'm sure is not a bad thing. But I do love this idea of making sure that you have time away and time to rest. It's so, it's so mm. Mm. Thank you for this advice. <laughs> I'm feeling very inspired to now leave my children with other people, which is definitely the right thing to do. I don't mean this in a jovial way about your parenting. I just, I really mean that it makes me think about how I do things. Okay, I think we definitely have to wrap up now, but I would love for you to just share three things that, right, uh, talking of boundaries. Uh, so I do actually have my child still on my lap um, breastfeeding while we're doing this. So, <laughs> so I'm, um, I'm aware yeah. of it. <laughs> I mean, as in like, I know, and I think it's absolutely incredible. <laughs> I admire you. <laughs> well, that's why we've just You're had a the coolest breastfeeder ever. <laughs> I was never that cool. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, basically the sleep pill for my children. So let's finish with you sharing just three things someone can do to feel that let's imagine someone who's rushing between a demanding jobs and the kids and just three things someone can do in order to move their life towards more rest and having better boundaries. There's three practical things they might try this week. So if you can give yourself permission to look after yourself, that can be an hour of sleep or a run or read a book and it's not a lost hour. You will win so much time, if you can. Depends on the circumstances. Secondly, I said that before, avoid screen time or think carefully about screen time and try other means of communication or working. And thirdly, I think establishing nice rituals that you can look forward to. Buy yourself some posh tea bags, you know, those with some topics on it and stuff breathe well or whatever or have your you know good morning coffee brand or whatever meditation establish rituals that you can look forward to and stick to them not easy to do but that's excellent advice thank you very much Carla and if people want to find out more about your work and the work of the Swiss church and your various podcasts where could they find out more about you we have a web page for the Swiss church at swisschurchlondon.org.uk and the Swiss Church had also a Facebook and Instagram account, Swiss Church London. And I have an Instagram account as well, that's Swiss Church Vicar, where I share some book, some kind of book recommendations, actually. And this is not much about mother and I don't do any kind of pictures of my child. That's a personal decision I made. So book recommendations and photos of London and UK and nice places. And also I do a podcast. It's called More Tea Vicar. And you find that on any podcast provider. And I've really enjoyed that. I think it's a very different way of, of looking at, at the city and at life. So I would definitely recommend people can listen in. Well, thank you very much, Carla. And I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening today. Really lovely to have you with us again thank you so much for being part of this new leaders with babies series if you are interested in the topic of setting boundaries then do visit leadersplus.org.uk forward slash boundaries to get some top tips for setting boundaries at work 
If this has been helpful to you in any way, then please help me make a bigger impact by sharing this episode with three of your friends that need to hear this conversation right now. And as I said, if you want to join a network of like-minded, ambitious individuals who happen to be parents, then have a look at the fellowship. The application deadline is 11th October. There are some subsidized places available for those in financially challenging circumstances. Until then, have a wonderful week.